can we all stand for the reading of God's word? <laughs> I was like, something's missing here. All right, today's scripture is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning. Why are Christians so hard to love? Welcome to redemption. You are, you are in the right place. We are a Christian church, but we're hopefully a little bit self-aware. And that's a reality. In fact, um, the late great uh, pastor and author Timothy Keller talked about the reality that uh, when a survey was made and people were asked the first word that comes to mind when you hear Christian, it was mean. So that's something for us to think about and to consider. Specifically, though, this morning, I think the question should be turned more to, like in here. And it's, why are other Christians so hard to love so often? So this book that we've been walking through, 1 John, is a letter from uh, in, uh, the Apostle John. He's an elder, an overseer in the church that he's a part of, and he's writing to Christians in the first century, people who are struggling to follow Jesus and to remain faithful. And uh, we talked about over the last number of weeks that they're, they're just, they're getting weary, tired. Uh, Joel at the beginning during his call to worship and during that time and that prayer and when Pastor Marcus was praying, both just really connected with my heart, just the, the reality of how tiring it can be. Right? There are those moments of euphoria and excitement and, and you know, energy, but just so often it can just, life can be like you're just starting the fourth quarter or you're going back in from halftime and you thought it was the end of the game. It's like, I don't know that I have it in me. I don't know that I can take that next step. And often the way we relate with each other rather than spurring us on actually tears us down. And that's when in this part of, of uh, chapter four specifically, he's really encouraging Christians to love each other. He's, he's recognizing the reality of how hard it is for us to be loving toward each other and how, how quickly we can tear each other down. And he wants to write to encourage Christians to consider their love for one another. But again, let's just ask, why is it? Why is it often hard to love other Christians. And I would say in many cases, it's probably because we've gotten too close. 
right? Maybe we had unrealistic expectations. Um, we've grown, I don't want to grow salty as a pastor, <laughs> okay? So I'm inviting you all to, to hold me accountable and the other pastors that right. I don't want to become jaded or salty, but what I've learned over the last 10, almost 10 years is since we started our church that often the same people that like can't believe how amazing our church is, it often are the people a little bit down the road that all of a sudden, you know, dip out. Like the people that have the more realistic expectations. When we, you know, we talk about here, we, we take God seriously, but not ourselves. But I think again, we often, whether it's in our own families, in, in the church, with other people, we, we have these expectations and then eventually it just grows tiring and we're, we grow weary. But the message that John wants to send to the church there and to us today is that God's love defines us and that we need each other. We need to love each other. When I don't know who... who gave a holler at the very beginning there at the start of the worship service, but that almost brought me to tears because I was like, who is doing, no, not because I was, I mean, because I was just like, yes, like I need to be here. I need to be surrounded by other people who are struggling, who are, who are, but, but are, are, are here. I need to be reminded of the true story of the world. I've been so tempted to believe all these different lies and all these different messages of where hope and meaning and purpose and life is found and, and, and they never fail to fail. And then I just grow, grow discouraged. But this, this truth of who Jesus is and what he's doing, that he's the author and the hero of the story of all of life and that he is worth us worshiping and glorifying and being shaped by. Like, I, I need that. So we need each other. But what he wants to tell us is this, not just try harder, do better, love each other, but be defined and shaped by God's love. Okay, this is what we're going to see as we walk through this time in 1 John chapter 4 is, is walk together, be grounded together in God's uh, essential, abiding, and perfect love. So you can see there how we're going to kind of walk through it together this morning. Uh, I didn't introduce myself. If you're new, I want to say welcome. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we walk through the Bible. We, we, we do that. Every once in a while, we'll do a one-off, kind of a standalone, but the majority of uh, uh, those of us who, who preach, we walk through series, and uh, we're, we're coming up. We have a couple more weeks in 1 John, and again, the big idea is, is, is God is love, so when in doubt, look to God and his love and love in response, in return. And uh, so I'd love to invite you to, to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, okay, which we would encourage, uh, bring your Bible, take notes, underline stuff, question marks. Um, if you don't own a Bible or you just don't have it today, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up? Okay, we want to get you a copy of God's Word. We want Again, if you don't own one, please keep this. It's our gift to you, but uh, if you just forgot it, please, um, yeah, go ahead and keep it up, and uh, I'm happy to help if any of you get missed. So right there in the front row, whoa, 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 back up. Okay, we got you. It takes a team, takes a village here. So um, we're going to uh, uh, spend our time here in the Bible, um, 
And uh, again, if, if you don't have one, this is our gift to you. And um, if you would prefer one in Spanish, sorry, I already did, I meant to say that earlier. Uh, simply say, you know, Espanol or, you know, Spanish, and we, we want to um, wanna make sure you have one as well. So um, also, again, if you're new, you've never heard me pre- preach. Uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, I stutter. And so it'll come in and out, and uh, I just want to give you a heads up on that. So let's go ahead and pray together as we get into our time in 1 John. Lord, right now we settle before you, before your feet, before your face, quorum Deo, the face of God. All of life is lived before your face, in your presence. And specifically right now, we sit like, I don't know, little kids around for story time. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will help us to be engaged Lord, you know what we need even more than we do. Some in this room need to be encouraged, built up, spurred on. Some of us need to be put in check. Some of us, our our pride or our arrogance has kind of shaped us and defined us, and we need to be reminded of who we actually are before you. And then the good news of Jesus that we are never left in our shame and our frustration and our struggle. So Lord, again, I also though pray that you will shape us collectively to be a church known and defined by love, not love that we muster up, but the love of God that shapes and informs and defines us. And then from there, that, 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 that sends us out like a catapult to live lives of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, God's essential love, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, I'm sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for us. So this, God's love is essential. Okay, let me, let me just make it, make it plain for us here as a church. I want to know this, that um, your and my relationship with God always must begin with God's initiating love. God is the first cause I think I, I took physics sometime in, in high school and I don't remember any of it, but there's something about, some, in order for something to move, something has to start, right? And the first cause, the first motion, the first movement is God. God initiating and specifically with God's love. Let me just tell you, no matter how smart or nice you or I are, that we won't love God. 
We are naturally inward bent. We are navel gazers. We're so obsessed and focused on ourselves. We, just like every human before us, just like every, every, every angel, we talked about this last week, every, that ultimately became a de- demon, uh, many demons or fallen angels that are all demons are some of the angels that, that, that rebelled against God. And it's because we don't want to find our life in God. So the biblical language use for all of us is outside of God's initiating love, we are dead. We're enemies. We're rebels. So we need God's love. And the good news is that God is love. And that God demonstrates his love. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me break that word down again. We have a few times as we walk through 1 John, but this is really important, okay? Because propitiation, again, is acknowledging that outside of God's action, outside of God's essential, necessary love, we are, we're doomed. Okay, we're, we're in a place, we've dug ourselves into a hole that we can't get ourselves out of. We, we are rebellious. We're, we're enemies. And, and God is a just and righteous judge. But propitiation, everyone look at the cross here. Maybe you have one on, your, on a tattoo somewhere, um, you know, or, or your neighbor does. Or, but like, right, we know the cross. But this is the picture of propitiation. This is where God's wrath is turned to favor. That when Jesus died on the cross, it is, right? Some people even, I've heard this, like, why did Jesus even have to die? It's because our rebellion, our, 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 um, our, our forming a coup, our, our enmity toward God deserves uh, God to, to deal with it. It, it, it deserves God's judgment and God's righteous and just judgment is ultimately death. It's you've made your bed, now you can sleep in it. You want to be apart from me, you will be apart from me forever. But when Jesus experienced God's judgment, he experienced God, God forsaking him, God turning his back on him. He experienced um, the, God's, the shame, all the results and the abandonment and the brokenness that, that sin brings in to the world. Jesus endured that on our behalf. And then he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he said, it is finished. And in that, when Jesus died on the cross, the, the penalty for sin was dealt with. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, again, to new life, he now opened a way for us, all of us who put our faith, that word faith is like a transfer of trust. Who, who transfer our trust from self to him, we now go from enemy to friend. Anyone remember the song, I am a friend of God? Like as I get older, I don't know how old other things are. So I don't know how old that song is. It could be from the 70s. It could be from the 90s. I don't know. It's all the same to me. But I am a friend of God, right? If you have that now, it's in your head, hopefully all day. And uh, I won't try to sing it for you. I will spare you for that. But there's a song just keeps, I am a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. You call me friend. God now calls you friend. His love is essential. But hear me this. It's not just essential. It's also fully provided. 
You and I don't need to question or wonder. If ever you do, and you probably do like I do, God, do you love me? Can you love me? Look at the cross. He does. God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. Not in our best day, not in our good day, in our worst day, in our worst moment. Christ died for us. His love is essential. Now he also, as we see here, there's another aspect of his love, right? That is essential. It's also somehow essential that, that his love be shown or proven through us. Verse 9 says God's love is manifest among us in Jesus Christ. That God's love is active. Okay, God doesn't just say, I love you. I have warm feelings towards you. God proves his love. He demonstrates his love that Christ died for us. And then he also says, now, you, if you hate your brother, you can't also love God who is love if you don't reveal that you have been now, your heart has been shaped and transformed by love if you walk in, in hate. So this is not like a... Um, this is not punitive, but it is evaluative. I don't even know if that's a word, but you can evaluate. You and I should evaluate whether or not we truly have been captivated, shaped by God's love, whether or not we truly are Christians, by whether or not we love. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we all get it right all the time or anything like that. But it means that if it's just easy to just put others on blast, to be, to be, to be angry, to just put others down, to shame them, to other them, to, and that's just a natural way of life and there's no conviction there, then again, the question would be, do you really understand God's undeserved love toward you if you're so quick to fail to love? others, your brother, your sister, your neighbor. God's love is essential. And when you and I are captivated, are changed and transformed by God's essential love, then all of life looks differently. God's love is essential. God's love is abiding. Pick up with me in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, you can, join, you can count the number of times that the word abide pops up in these, what is it, six or so verses. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That word ought to, by the way, is not like try harder, do better, should, should, should. Oh, some of you have heard me talk about that before. It's, it's, no, it's this is the result. This is the natural result of being, of, of, of God's love toward us is that we love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That word abide comes up. I don't know. What's the, the number? Anyone? Would you come up with? 
No, no one can count in here? No. Five, yes. Just kidding. Sorry. I'm, I am a little salty. I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. Um, I counted six and then implied eight. Because, like, if God's love abides in us and us in him, so it's in. But a lot of times in, in, in six verses, abide is in there multiple times. So this word abide is, means to remain, to be grounded in, to be, again, like, firmly established. So if God is love, and he now sent his spirit to abide in us, to hold us, to shape us, to, to, to firmly ground us, then, then, then there's, this, there's this exchange, this, this flow of God's love resting in us and then us now resting in his love. And then again, not try harder, do better, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but, but actually now live out of the love that God has sent to abide in you. You now walk in that love and it, and it comes through you. The language in the book of Galatians is of fruit, right? A tree bears fruit. Jesus talks about this as well. Like a, 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 a healthy bush doesn't, doesn't produce sick fruit. And healthy fruit doesn't come from a sick bush, right? Or a, a plant. No, so if you, if, you are, if you abide, if you are planted in, firmly planted in God's soil, then love will flow out of your lives. And remember here in verse, in verse 14, I just want to bring us to this again, because if you wonder, oh, I don't know about all this. He says, and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. In case, right, we're so removed. We're like 2000 years or so removed. I'm not going to get into a apologetics and can you trust the Bible and all that, I will just tell you, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, absolutely 100% that this is God's word. Somehow, I don't always fully understand it, but God's word given through people, God's perfect word given through imperfect people, and especially in the New Testament, all of them either first person interacted with Jesus or were directly close to people who first person related with Jesus, right? We talked about this, smelled his morning breath, washed dishes next to him, um, saw what he did when he was a carpenter. So I got to imagine he at least once or twice hit his thumb with the nail. Even though he's perfect, he's also fully human. He, you know, try to make sense of that, but I'm sure he, you know, hit his thumb with a nail and it's, and, and, but here's the thing. He never, Unlike me, he never dropped the F-bomb and chucked the hammer across. I'm confident in that. And these, these people, John is saying, listen, myself and these others, we saw Jesus. We testified. They actually proved it with their lives. All but one, John here being all but one, gave their lives. They were martyred. They believed it so confidently. And this is history. This isn't just like oh, Christians just pass stuff along. And it's like the game of telephone. And somehow, even though none of us have ever seen the game of telephone ever work, right? It's never worked with like more than two people. And even then it's a coin flip. Somehow we like to think that like Christianity or the Bible is just a, you know, 2000 plus year game of telephone that just so happens to keep going. And we're all just trading the same secret that's really not, firm, not firmly grounded. No, like this is one of the things, and I think it's important because the author here is saying, listen, my experience with Jesus is proof. I saw 
his love demonstrated. I interacted with him risen from the dead. And then I've experienced him say, I will send you a helper. And then he did. He filled me with the Holy Spirit. And I now live and love with the power that I cannot explain. It's not my own. It abides in me and I in you. And his message is, listen, church, Christians, it's hard to love each other. You're imperfect. You're sometimes mean. You're insecure. You trample over each other. You're self-focused. But when you are captivated by God's love for you and his love abides in you, you can now walk, stand firmly in his essential and abiding love. And his love is also perfect. In John 17, sorry, 1 John 4, 17 by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There's, there's no fear. Okay, hear me, look at me. If you follow Jesus, if your trust has been transferred from self to Christ, to his finished work, you can rest assured that the work that God began, right, his essential love, he initiated, his promise is that he will see it through to the end. His promise is, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Even though our own heart is so often crying out, surely, right, we can be self-condemning. We can say, surely God can't love me. Even when our own heart condemns us, we rely not on our message, on our word, but on his proven, displayed, perfect love. You can stand firm and walk now. Because again, so often, as I said earlier, our insecurity and our fear is in part often what now propels us to fail to love one another. Right? I, because I have everything to prove and everyone to impress, when you say something that maybe shakes or, or, or kind of questions my security, I'm going to be more tempted to, to tear you down. But when you feel like you cannot be torn down, when you are so secure and so established and so confident in God's proven perfect love for you, you're now set free to love someone else even when they don't give it back. And that's crazy. We can admit that's crazy. I struggle to do that. All right, I on a daily basis, whether it's in traffic, in my own home, in the workplace. Yes, I know my workplace is the church. Even in the workplace, wherever it might be, it's so hard to give something that someone else doesn't give to me. Respect, kindness, affirmation, love. But when you already have it so and you know it will never be taken away, you're able to now give away what God has so fully given to you. His love is perfect. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Who loved first? God. 
Okay, again, you and I, it's we can confess that and say that. I pray, church, that right now in this moment and all throughout this next week and months and years, we can be reminded, how, how would life look differently if we understood that God loved first? Again, that would mean our whole Christian life is lived not to earn or to prove, but instead in response to. He loved first. His love is perfect because he loves first. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Imagine a life that has been set free from hate. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but I'm guessing most of us wouldn't call ourselves hateful people, right? Like, I'm a hater, maybe about certain things. ASU, I can own that. You know, other things. I'm a hater here and there. But, you know, but like to truly be like, no, I'm, I'm a hateful person. I hate my brother. We probably wouldn't think that. But I have a, uh, I've looked up the, the definition of hate. Intense hostility and aversion, usually deriving from fear. Anger or sense of injury. Extreme dislike or disgust. Antipathy, loathing. When I come under that definition, I'm a little less quick to be like, no, 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 I don't hate. I'm not. Like anger, uh, often fear. What does fear drive me to do? Extreme dislike or disgust. Again, our love, I think if we're honest, our love is imperfect. Even our version of love is so often actually hate. But the perfect love that God has given, that God demonstrates to us, that God pours out, that now abides in those who put their trust in Jesus, who now belong to him, actually casts out fear. It looks like this. And let me share with you in Colossians chapter 3. The author there, Paul, says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Let me just be quick there too to acknowledge that, that true forgiveness doesn't mean you just never have conflict, right? Love is truth-telling and hostility absorbing. Okay, but you actually do the hard work of forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Let's evaluate honestly as we close. How does God's perfect love toward you actually inform and shape your love for others? Church, redemption, how does God's love toward us shape and define how we live our lives, how we function as a church in here, together, in the world that we interact with, 
between Sunday and Sunday. Think about this. Kind of take this throughout this week. How did you feel when you first encountered Jesus' love for you? Like it's so simple and so childlike. It's just, it's just, it's just responding. There's a sense of, yeah, I didn't earn this. I did. But, but we, we, we so quickly forget and we walk away and then we operate out of that. The language in scripture so often, return to your first love. Who's your first love? The one who first loved you. How does that empower and motivate you and me to love one another? I want to ask another question. If you're here today, whether you've grown up in a church, you've been coming here for a long time, maybe this morning you've done some honest work and you've said, you know, I'm not captivated by love. Love doesn't define me. Some of those words, maybe you can throw it back up there, the hate definition, hostility, aversion, even toward God, right? I'm, no, I don't want to pray. I don't want to talk to God. I, I don't think God truly loves me. I, I don't say that to pile on shame. It's actually to acknowledge, I, and I'm going to speak to all of us, maybe especially men. I'm sorry if that's offensive, but I think especially men, I love that anger and fear are right next to each other. So often we don't want to admit how afraid we are. It wasn't until my dad was in his 70s. He was a big dude. You might not believe it because I'm like, you know, 5'2", not exactly, but almost. He was 6'2", huge, big guy, um, construction worker, all this stuff. He was a tough dude. And he admitted to me how much of his life was just driven by fear. And his anger was directly connected to fear for so many of us, whether it's our relationship toward God or toward others. What would it look like to be so captivated by God's undeserved favor, his love toward you, his essential abiding in perfect love that you and I now walk in that love together? Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that we respond now to your love. I pray that you will do a work among us here, whatever you want to do, however you want to shape us, individually and corporately, as a whole church, as a community. Lord, will you break through our walls that we set up, our, our, our facades, whether we believe it or we've convinced ourselves to believe it or not, Lord, we, we are in and of ourselves afraid, uh, we're unstable, we are so often driven by hate. Lord, will your love captivate us? Will you lead us now collectively to respond as a people shaped, formed, grounded, empowered by the perfect love of Jesus? Amen.